0: Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource, that it may be a blessing. Grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles... You'll find that on page 980. And while you're finding your place, so this year I turned 35 on my birthday. And different people define it in different ways, but but in many cases, 35 is considered uh, the beginning of middle age. And this reality has led me to be uh, somewhat reflective on my life. Uh, I keep thinking about the concept of, of a, midlife cri- a midlife crisis and wondering if I'm going to have one. Um, I don't think I have any reason to. I'm, I'm very satisfied with my life. Uh, of course, like anybody, I have things that I wish I hadn't done in the past. There are things that I wish I had done, uh, opportunities that I, I wish I would have pursued. But on the whole, I am blessed. I have a wonderful family, I love my job, Uh, I'm I'm surrounded by by friends who I love, Uh, I'm relatively healthy, and and so I really have no reason uh, to wake up and and wonder, what have I done with my life? Uh, But at the same time, I I do have a growing uh, sense, perhaps even a burden, that I need to make my life count. Uh, the the preciousness of time and the weight of eternity are are increasingly becoming more and more real to me. And so uh, maybe instead of regrets over the past, I'm going to have more of like a a midlife motivation to make sure that that I make the most out of the rest of whatever life the Lord grants me. So rather than, than regrets that I'm trying to compensate for, I'm really just trying to gear up Uh, to to finish well, however long that that takes, and perhaps you can relate to that on some level. Well, as Paul continues to update the Philippians on his circumstances this morning, uh, we're going to see the key to making our lives count for what really matters in the big picture, and so we are in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in the second half of verse 18. Paul writes, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so we're we're picking up in the second half of verse 18, which is kind of funny to me, Uh, Because last week when we stopped in the middle of the verse, we had just been discussing the history of of Bible chapter and verse divisions in our our Bible interpretation class. And we had talked about the fact that while they are incredibly helpful, uh, they're not always exactly where you would expect them to be. And sometimes they are are more confusing than helpful. And this is one of those instances. Instead of starting verse 19 with yes or waiting until the end of the sentence, uh, verse 18 ended up being divided uh, by a transition, and that kind of uh, breaks up the flow of things a bit. Nevertheless, we saw last week that Paul rejoiced in the midst of his difficult circumstances. And, And he did that, we saw, because he understood that life and ministry were not about him. It was all about the gospel advancing. And now, as he continues, he insists that he is going to continue rejoicing. And in verse 19, we see that that is because he knows that it's ultimately going to result in his deliverance. Now, when we read the word deliverance, our minds probably naturally uh, think of Paul being released from prison. That uh, in actuality, Paul seems to be referring to his ultimate salvation on the day of judgment. And there are a few reasons to understand it this way. So first of all, the word that Paul uses is the word for salvation, and every other time it's found in the New Testament, it's always referring to our spiritual salvation rather than some form of of physical deliverance. Secondly, uh, as Paul thinks about this deliverance, you see at the end of verse 20 that he is confident about it regardless of whether he lives or dies. And obviously he couldn't be released from prison if he ends up being executed. But he will still be saved. Uh, And then finally, most scholars agree that Paul is actually quoting from Job here. And so if you are unfamiliar with the story of Job, Job is a righteous man who is suffering a great deal of unjust suffering. And if that weren't enough, uh, the very people who should be supporting him during this difficult time are actually making life worse for him. Does that sound familiar? It's actually the exact same situation that Paul described of himself last week as he described the preachers who are seeking to afflict him as he unjustly suffers in prison. But in chapter 13, despite his suffering, Job says, first of all, the very words that we sang in one of our songs last week, that though he slay me, I will hope in him. And then he goes on to insist that all of this will ultimately result In his salvation, and he's obviously not talking about deliverance from prison, he's talking about uh, on the last day. And so as Paul quotes from Job here, and he applies that to his, uh, his personal situation, it becomes apparent that he is thinking of his ultimate salvation, and not so much his release from prison, although we'll get to that in just a moment. And so, in other words, Paul is going to continue rejoicing despite his difficult circumstances because he knows that no matter what happens here, he knows that on the the day of judgment he is going to be saved and he's going to experience the inexpressible inexpressible joy of being with the Lord for all eternity. Paul can rejoice in difficult circumstances because, as we saw last week, he's not focused on his problems He's focused on what God is doing through his problems. And now we see this morning that he's also focused on the big picture. As he wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, the weight of glory that the Lord is preparing for his people make all of the difficulty and suffering that we go through in this life seem light and momentary by comparison. In the first half of verse 19 and in verse 20, uh, th- those verses combine to show us where Paul gets his confidence from. And we see that Paul is confident, not in himself, but that he is confident through the prayers of the Philippians for him and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ at work in him, that he will not be ashamed, but that he will have courage to honor Christ, whether by living or by dying. You see, there there are two possible outcomes for Paul at this point. He's either going to be found innocent by the emperor and released, or he's going to be found guilty and and sentenced to death uh, unless he is willing to deny Christ. And the, the reality is that here in America, where we have the freedom of religion, it's simply impossible for us to fully appreciate The weight of of dread and fear that you would legitimately experience at the the thought of potential execution. It's it's enough to make the strongest believer think twice before they respond. But Jesus calls his people to stand firm to the end. And he, he tells us that those who are willing to acknowledge him among men will be acknowledged by him before the Father. And that those who are ashamed of him, face a shameful rejection by him. And this is what Paul is getting at here. But he is confident, again, as the Philippians pray for him, that the Holy Spirit will enable him to do what he needs to do to honor Christ. And so if he lives, then he'll continue to share the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. And if he dies, then he will demonstrate publicly that Jesus and his gospel are worth dying for. But either way, he will not be ashamed. I think it's worth pointing out that Paul is directly attributing the help of the Holy Spirit to the Philippians' prayers. These things go together in this verse. Paul's courage is going to be upheld by the Holy Spirit, who will be at work in his life through the prayers and in answer to the prayers of the Philippians. We see throughout the New Testament, Paul consistently asks the churches to pray for him in his letters to them. And we're reminded of the fact that God works through the prayers of his people. This is why prayer is so important in our lives and in the life of our church as a whole. We, We know that God works through the prayers of his people. And this is why we take time each Sunday night to come together as a church family and to pray corporately. We pray for one another. We pray for the ministry of our church and for spiritual needs of the people that we know. We pray for our nation and for our government. We pray for whatever else is on our hearts and minds. And we do that because we know that the prayers of believers are vitally important to accomplishing the mission that God has given us. And here Paul implicitly asks the Philippians to continue praying for him. And so to summarize so far, Paul is going to continue rejoicing even in the midst of difficult circumstances, because he knows that at the end of the day, no matter what happens in this earthly court, that, that eventually he is going to be vindicated and saved by the, in, in the final courtroom of heaven. Through the prayers of the Philippians and the help of the Holy Spirit, he is confident that whether he lives or dies, he is going to remain true to his profession of faith in Jesus and have no reason to be ashamed On the day of judgment. And starting in verse 21, Paul goes on to elaborate more on what he means. And so we'll pick up again, beginning in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so as Paul com- continues to explain his perspective here in verse 21, uh, he reveals his philosophy on life. And he says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As we, again, as we saw last week, it's not about Paul. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. It's all about Christ. You'll you'll notice in verse 21 that there is no verb that would specify what he means here, as if to say that to live is to love Christ, or to serve Christ, or or something like that. He simply says that to live is Christ. And so we see that Jesus and his kingdom are an all-consuming passion that flow over into every aspect of Paul's life. Everything in his life comes back to Jesus, and he sees everything he does as an opportunity to honor Christ in some way. He expands on what he means in the first half of verse 22. He says, if I live, then that means fruitful labor for me. So to live is Christ in part means working for the kingdom of God. and So if Paul should be released from prison... And that would mean that he continues to go around sharing the gospel and making disciples, helping people come to know and follow Jesus. But what happens if Paul dies? What happens if the emperor orders him to be executed for his faith? Well, actually, that would be great also. Paul says that to die is gain. It is profitable for him. Now, that's not the attitude that most people have about death. But that was Paul's attitude, and he explains why he feels that way at the end of verse 23. He wants to be with Jesus, which he would consider to be far better than continuing on in this broken world with all the evil and suffering in it. Just as a quick side note, Paul's confidence here about going to be with the Lord upon death is one of the the main reasons we believe that Christians go immediately to be in the presence of God Uh, when they die. So if you remember back to our study through 1 Thessalonians a a few months ago, we talked about the intermediate state. And while we don't know all the details of of what it's like to be with the Lord before the time of the resurrection, uh, Paul is convinced that when he dies, he will go to be with him. And in fact, he's so confident about it that it makes death desirable for him. So now we know how Paul stayed so motivated throughout his years of difficult ministry. For him, to live was Christ, and to die was a good thing. The, the, The worst thing that could possibly happen to him, being killed, was a good thing, and so he can't lose. Either he lives for Jesus, or he goes to be with Jesus. Now, most translations phrase the alternatives of life and death in the second half of verse 22 as a decision that that Paul is making. And so it says, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. But we know that it's not ultimately up to Paul whether he lives or dies. That's a a decision for the emperor to make, of course, under the providence of God. And So this would be more accurately understood as an issue of, of personal preference that Paul is weighing. He says, I'm not sure which outcome I would prefer. And so in verse 23, Paul is almost thinking out loud as he writes. He's saying, uh, I'm not really sure what would be best. And he's clear that personally, he would prefer to go on and be with the Lord. He's convinced that that would be far better. And yet he also recognizes in verse 24 that the Philippians, and presumably the the other churches that he's working with, uh, would, would have much more benefit from him sticking around a little longer. And so he says that to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so Paul realizes that there is great value in him continuing to live in order to be able to continue working with the churches, providing them with spiritual leadership and direction. And with that in mind, he comes to a conclusion about what will happen to him at his trial, which we'll see as we pick up one last time, beginning in verse 25. He writes, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so, after considering the alternatives and the pros and cons of each one, Paul is convinced that his purpose on earth is not quite finished yet. And therefore, he is confident that he will eventually be released by the emperor in order to complete the mission he's been given. He says that, that he will get to Philippi again, and he'll be able to continue working for their progress and joy in their faith. And that this will result in the Philippians' praise and worship and glorifying God for the blessing of Paul's release and his ability to be with them again. And Paul's confidence here is one of the main reasons we believe that he was ultimately released from this imprisonment and continued to minister for a few more years before he was ultimately rearrested and then finally executed. But as I was thinking this week, I, I was struck by Paul's love here, both for the Lord and for his church. He has done the apostle thing, All right, he's taken his lumps, a lot of lumps. And frankly, he's ready to be done with it. And yet, at the very same time, he realizes that it would be better for the Philippians and for the kingdom at large for him to remain alive and continue to work with them. And he's on board with that. And as he's called this church to abound in love, to be sacrificially committed to the well-being of one another... And as he's about to flesh out what that looks like throughout the rest of the letter, what an example of that he gives them here. For, For Paul is tired. He is ready to go and be with the Lord. And yet his commitment to the kingdom and to God's people compels him to embrace God's plan for his life over what he might want for himself. I was just struck by the fact that Paul truly practiced what he preached as Paul finishes updating the Philippians on his circumstances this morning, we see that for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. And I would submit to you this morning that this perspective is the secret to avoiding a midlife crisis or to end-of-life remorse over things that we regret, to devote yourself and live for what truly matters in the big picture. It's also the secret to ministry perseverance as we encounter various obstacles to making disciples in this life. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus, when we place our our hope and our trust for salvation in what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, that changes everything. The gospel transforms who we are. It rearranges our priorities. And it gives us a new purpose to pursue in life. Now, think about Paul for just a moment. What can the world do with someone like him? What could the world do with a church full of people who aren't like him? If you just let them go, then they're going to keep sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus. And you can't intimidate them into stopping Because they're not afraid to die if they're they're called to do that. And if you try to stop them, then we've already seen numerous times that the more you persecute them, the more they grow. Because, Because God takes the very things that are designed to stop the gospel and He uses them as the very means of launching it forward. So at the end of the day, when Christians have the right perspective, the church of Christ is invincible, it cannot be stopped. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel to all nations. The question is, will we be those kinds of Christians? Will we be that kind of church? Will we embrace the idea that it's really not about us? Will we buy into the mindset that that our work and our family and our neighborhood and our hobbies and our money, that every aspect of our lives gives us opportunities to honor Christ in life or in death? Will we seek to advance the kingdom through our circumstances? Or will we be distracted pursuing a a comfortable and and respectable life as the world defines it, with, with just enough Jesus on the side to make us feel better about it? church, to live as a Christian is Christ. Everything in our lives has purpose for him and for his kingdom. And when we see things correctly, then we understand that even to die is gain. That what God has in store for us is infinitely greater than anything that we could possibly experience in this life or even imagine. And so this morning for the sake of the Great Commission, for the sake of our own mental health. Let's pray that the Lord will help us to truly embrace Paul's perspective on life, and let's make the absolute most of our time here in this life. Let's pray together.